1: Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The very first episode of this podcast covered a haunting that I find to be very emotional and traumatic. It's one I feel close to, even though there's absolutely nothing about it that connects me to it other than emotion. I'm talking about the Vallisca House, where in June of 1912, eight people were brutally killed with an axe as they slept. Two parents, their four children, and two other children who had been sleeping over. I've investigated the house a few times, and it's incredibly hard to reconcile what happened there and the fact no one was ever held accountable for the crimes. But along with the haunting that exists there now, and the fascination with the true crime element, there are many theories that the murderer made a few stops on their journey to Vallisca, and even some evidence suggesting it wasn't his only axe murder. That being said, there is a building, also in Iowa, that many feel has some sort of connection to the Vallisca murders, though it has seen plenty of death and trauma in its own right. This large home, now called Malvern Manor, sits just 38 miles from Villisca and has some very interesting stories to tell. Let's pay a visit, shall we? I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. The small town of Malvern, Iowa can seem like the embodiment of rural heartland life. In fact, in The Devil's Coming to Get Me, The Haunting of Malvern Manor by Richard Estep, the community is described as a classic American small town. For the past 150 years, its population has held fairly steady around 1,000 people or so, give or take a few hundred in either direction. And perched in the outskirts of Malvern's downtown neighborhood, One strange old home looks like a child took a bunch of pieces from different toy houses and wedged them together into one. The 10,000 square foot structure is two stories tall, not counting the basement and attic. It has a peaked roof on one side, which abuts more industrial-looking blocky wings on the other side. Its 28 interior rooms feature abandoned furniture— Before it grew worn and began peeling, the floral wallpaper may have once been cheerful, but it's hard to imagine the winding, narrow hallways and unfinished, smoke-scarred attic feeling anything but ominous. The reason the structure, Malvern Manor, looks so haphazard is because it has grown in fits and starts, with many new additions over the course of its existence. It was originally built in the 19th century as a home for lumber magnate Isaac B. Ringland. He and his family lived there until their deaths, at which point it was sold to a hotelier named Julia Betts. After she acquired the home in 1890, she spent a year or so renovating and expanding the building to transform it into an inn. According to reporting in The Malvern Leader, at some point during this round of construction, workers unearthed a Bible inside a cornice molding. It's unclear how the book ended up there, but the Paranormal Warehouse website suggested this may have been evidence of an earlier Masonic ritual from the time the building was first erected. This didn't slow the renovations, and in 1891, the business opened its doors. Then called the Cottage Hotel, the inn didn't just host travelers for the night. It was also a social hub and the site of numerous weddings and funerals. Although Malvern was still a rural community, the Cottage Hotel was at least the town's fourth lodging house. This was because Malvern sat near a major railway and travelers would stop there for the night during long train journeys. Nancy Hendricks wrote in Haunted Histories in America that the manor specifically courted traveling salesmen for their client base. We can only imagine how many people spent the night there over the years. According to some speculation, one particularly notorious individual stopped at the cottage inn for the night. The unidentified killer who committed the Velisca axe murders. The unsolved multiple homicide happened in June 1912, when an unknown perpetrator slaughtered an entire family in Villisca, Iowa, which is about 40 miles from Malvern. Now, as we don't even know their identity, there is no record or proof that the killer ever set foot in the town of Malvern or the Cottage Hotel. But it's possible. Investigators believe the murderer took the train in, so the lodging would have been a reasonable place to stop for the night. Today, the site of the Velisca axe murders employs Johnny Hauser, friend of the show, as a caretaker. Johnny claims he's somehow drawn to the Malvern Manor, and he sees this as evidence that the two houses are connected. As reported by Richard Estep, Hauser has also alleged that a large quartz vein runs between the homes, supernaturally linking them. While we can't verify any formal connection between the Malvern Manor and the multiple homicide, it's possible the killer contributed to some of the eerie energy that seems to permeate the grounds. Throughout the early 1900s, the hotel changed ownership numerous times During that period, it also underwent numerous renovations and expansions, creating that patched-together aesthetic I referenced earlier. In an article, A Brief History of the Malvern, John D. Paddock speculated the hotel might have been suffering from bad luck due to hoodoo. Regardless, in 1956, the facility stopped operating as a lodging and was converted into a nursing home. But it wasn't much more successful now than it had been as a hotel. While the residents were initially pleased with the clean, well-maintained facility, it soon had to be shut down when government officials discovered the hallways were too narrow to wheel beds down them. In June 1976, the manor transformed once again this time to a hospital for people with physical and mental disabilities. Reporting in a local newspaper suggested the staff went to great lengths to make patients feel safe and comfortable. One client described how they dined, worshipped, and explored their hobbies with the other residents, forming a makeshift family. The Devil's Coming to Get Me, The Haunting of Malvern Manor by Richard Estep, tells a different story. In this book, Richard discussed one resident who was said to be highly aggressive and murdered at least two people. He chased staffers down the hall when they were performing checks, and many employees were afraid to interact with him at all. They'd refuse to help him dress or put his shoes on in the morning. There are also accounts, which are unverified, of another patient named Grace, who stayed in a room on the first floor. Rumors suggest she suffered from multiple personality disorder. The American Haunting's Ghost Hunts webpage, titled Night at the Malvern Manor, discussed how staffers would often walk by Grace's room late in the evening. They'd hear a man's voice repeating, ''The devil's coming to get me. The devil's coming to get me.'' When these employees would open the door to investigate, they'd find Grace alone, speaking in the deep male voice to herself. While the residents sought treatment at the hospital, history repeated itself. Once more, the state had to intervene and shut the business down. This time it was because, as Clark Kaufman wrote for the Des Moines Register, the structure's electrical system wasn't up to code. Additionally, they weren't maintaining the proper records on their employees or patients. Adhering to food safety and preparation procedures or taking proper steps to prevent outbreaks and spread of infectious disease. In 2004, the hospital was shuttered. Afterward, the Malvern Manor spent one year as another care facility called the Heritage House, before it was finally condemned for good. Today, the building belongs to private owners with an interest in the paranormal. They gave the facility its current name, Malvern Manor. And they host haunted tours on the premises because, supposedly, it's a hub for supernatural activities. It's been estimated that roughly 100 people have died in the building since its construction, so it's almost to be expected that the house's hallways echo with disembodied moans, footsteps, and voices. Visitors say they hear heavy dragging sounds, like someone unseen is moving furniture around. Others have seen balls roll or rocking chairs shift without being pushed. Partial shadow figures sometimes appear, and guests should expect to be touched or groped as they pass through the house. Many have pointed at one possible source for all these disturbances. In the house, a display case holds a doll named Rose, who is said to be haunted. Reportedly, Rose often moves around on her own. Some speculate that Rose's influence extends beyond her enclosed case and she can cause disturbances throughout the house, particularly on the second floor. Rose has been linked to another spirit called Number One. Richard Estep highlighted this connection in the text in his book. He also reported that Number One has a deep male voice when he speaks and growls aggressively at visitors. But Rose and Number One don't seem to be responsible for everything that happens at Malvern Manor. The still unidentified perpetrator of the Valeska axe murders has reportedly made contact with investigators at the manor. And earlier, I discussed one former patient from when the building operated as a mental health facility, the man who chased terrified staffers in the halls. His six-foot, seven-inch specter still appears in the second-floor hallways, charging at guests the same way he bore down on employees so many years ago. Visitors have also reported instances associated with Grace, the woman who allegedly spoke in a deep male voice while alone late at night in her room. At times, the overwhelming sour scent of urine will fill her former chambers. In Room 7, a spectral spirit screams in terror, believing her family left her unloved and forgotten at the facility. And another ghost in the lobby has been identified as Harry, who lived at the manor when it was a nursing home. Richard Estep reports that Harry was wheelchair-bound in life and enjoyed humming along and whistling to the radio. Today, he'll push seemingly empty wheelchairs around, still whistling and humming all the while. Particularly dark energy seemed to permeate rooms 17 and 18. It's hard to say exactly what happened there, as reports are contradictory. It's said that while Malvern Manor operated as a mental health facility, two men lived in the side-by-side rooms. Reportedly, late at night after checks were complete, the man in room 18 would slip into room 17 and possibly sexually assault the other resident. But in an interview with Richard Estep, paranormal investigator Dustin Perry said he connected with the spirit that still remains in room 17. When he asked about the abuse, the spirit told him, that never happened. I loved him. Visitors have also seen the spirit of a young girl lurking in the house, particularly in one second floor room. Investigators have captured audio of the phantom introducing herself as Inez Gibson, Now, Inez Gibson is a real, historically documented person, a Malvern local who died at the tender age of 12. She was the adopted daughter of a grocer who took her in after her mother and father divorced, and neither parent was willing or able to care for her. In December 1990, Inez tragically died, allegedly just before she was supposed to move back in with her birth mother. While her demise was initially believed to be a suicide, further investigation revealed it was actually a horrific freak accident. The Daily Nonpareil described the deadly incident in an article titled, Was Not a Suicide. Reportedly, Inez wrapped her jump rope around her neck before digging through her closet for some gifts she'd bought to give away on Christmas. Somehow, the jump rope got on a clothing hook. It tightened around her neck, forming a makeshift noose and strangling her. Now, to be very clear, Inez did not pass away at Malvern Manor, but at her house, a short distance away. But according to some speculation, after her house was demolished, her spirit sought a new home one that was already full of other ghosts to keep her company and so she ended up at the manor. Another explanation is that some other spirit is impersonating Inez or perhaps visitors to the manor have essentially manifested the spirit. They expected to interact with the little girl named Inez and the power of that anticipation actually brought this entity into existence. But ultimately, it's almost impossible to guess where a spirit came from or what it wants now. That's true in any haunted location, but particularly in Malvern Manor. Throughout its history, the structure has been locked in a cycle of new beginnings and condemnations, followed by even more fresh starts. It's hard to pinpoint where the facility's story begins or ends, let alone the narratives of those who now linger in its halls. But up next, we'll chat with Josh Hurd, He is a co-owner of Malvern Manor, and he'll explain why destiny brought him there. And he'll also dive into the many haunting experiences he's had there over the years. That's coming up after the break.
3: At PurdueGlobal.edu. All
2: right, so I am now joined by Josh Hurd, who is one of the co-owners of Malvern Manor. Really, not anyone more perfect to speak with about this. So, welcome <laughs> to the program, Josh.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
2: Of course. Now, how did you get involved with Malvern?
1: You know, it's it's weird. Like, I was actually. I had no idea that this building existed. I was actually filming a documentary across the street um, at this really cool restaurant uh, called the classic cafe. And they have their own slew of paranormal happenings. And they were kind enough to say, bring your cameras, do all that fun stuff. And we went over there, and I didn't realize there was a bar that's attached to the classic cafe. It was a Friday evening, and apparently had been a pretty rough week for a lot of people because they were <laughs> they were very loud and boisterous. Uh, but we really couldn't investigate at all and give it a really a fair shake, mm-hmm. uh, just from noise contamination and all that. So I went outside and I met this guy who was like, "What's with all the cameras, dude?" And I told him uh, what we were doing, and um oh my god this guy's gonna think I'm crazy you know what I mean but he was like oh that's kind of cool um he goes I really don't believe in this stuff however he's like I have got this building and it used to be you know basically a hotel and then it was a, a group home or a nursing home and then like a group home for mentally handicapped people all that stuff and he's like yeah the place is like 10,000 square feet I'm like where is this place and he's like right there across the street and I'm like wow pretty sure we just became best friends you know so I'm like hey man <laughs> Uh, he let us in, and I mean, we had more happen to us in the first two hours than we had in the last two years. So it was it was absolutely mind-boggling, like, what was happening. And I'm like, I don't think you realize what you have here. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so it was that point that I was, like, kind of talked him into opening the doors uh, to the public. Because the building was just sitting here completely vacant. Right. And so, yeah. And now we're lucky enough to keep the building doing what it's doing.
2: Yeah, that's great. I mean, it is kind of one of those situations where it seems like the paranormal kind of keeps history alive, you know, and I really like that because sometimes there are these buildings, especially kind of in the Midwest, where if someone wasn't looking for ghosts in them, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot else happening inside of them, if that makes sense. And so, uh, you know, weirdly, you you breathe new life into it, which I really like. Um, The history to me is fascinating. We covered that in the first half, but, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, having those experiences so quickly and then convincing him to open the doors to going on to be, you know, part owner of the location. Has this place just kind of become like your life in some ways?
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm married to the place, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm very similar in the respect that I really enjoy history and when you can correlate historical fact with paranormal happenings like that to me is the good stuff Um, when those two things can kind of come together and momentarily shake hands you know it's like wow um very very interesting stuff and so i i became obsessed with this place um more in a healthy respect Uh, my, (laughs) my wife may argue i don't know but still um like it's 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 amazing to me like like one of the first things that I did after you know acquiring this building then for ourselves is I invited the former nursing staff back here. Like, walk me down memory lane. Like, I wanted yeah. to know what the day to day was like here. Um, it's, it's fascinating stuff to me. I that's love that's a
2: great it. move. I love that. Um, you know, not a lot of people have that opportunity, which is is it's so uh, that's valuable information to have when you're investigating. Um, now, when you first went in there. What was the moment when you were like, this is something special? Like when something happened, you know, paranormally speaking, like when were you like, oh, there's something to this?
1: You know, it was honestly like within the first 45 minutes of getting into the building, we were upstairs on the second floor. And I remember specifically hearing footsteps coming down the hallway, which it's an old building. You're certainly going to hear footsteps coming towards you. Um But everybody was accounted for. Everybody was in the room. Um, And so I'm like, well, that's interesting. But then we heard uh, a very audible disembodied like female voice and it couldn't make out anything that it was saying. It almost sounded like a like a moan or a hum or something similar. But it happened twice. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? So it really left me like scratching my head because, again, like no females were present with us that night. And everybody was accounted for. So I'm like, I don't understand. Um, there were numerous things that happened just that night that, that really made me scratch my head and think, okay, this place is something special, you know?
2: Do you think that most of the activity there seems to be kind of more on the intelligent side, or do you think it's a lot of residual activity?
1: I would, I would say there's a, a fair amount of both going on. Um, a lot of what I seem to capture does seem to have some form of intelligence to it. It's, it's answering questions and, and things like that. Then there are other times where it's almost as if, and I don't even know how this is possible, if it is something that's intelligent, I don't know. Maybe they just think I'm a resident, but they, I've been told numerous times to get back in my room
2: strange and I'm like
1: so if I'm walking around it's the middle of the night you know and it's like get back to your room it's like oh you think I'm I'm a patient here
2: yeah uh, so they know room. they're like you're up and about when you are not supposed to be yeah. and you're either getting in trouble or someone's looking out for you both very interesting
1: I think so too so I'm like gosh is this something that's intelligent or something that's residual or is it somehow a mixture of both like I have no idea.
2: Have you been able to kind of verify activity and link it to people who were, uh, you know, who lived in that location at some point?
1: Definitely. Um, And that was one of the biggest things of why I wanted to uh, invite some of that former nursing staff back is to see if we could correlate specific names without giving them any information whatsoever. Just, again, walk me down memory lane. And it was fascinating. One of the first rooms that we came to. Um, we had been getting the name of this, this woman, uh, calling herself Gracie. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty name, you know, all that stuff. And I would go into Gracie's room, uh, often. And it wasn't then until we had that, that group of nurses kind of walking with us. They're like, and this over here was Grace's room or Gracie's room as she liked to be called. But now Gracie was also, you know, she had schizophrenia, but she also had DID or what they used to refer to as multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. So Gracie had a lot going on, um, One evening in particular, three nurses sat with Gracie for an hour and documented 13 separate distinguishable personalities, which is, I mean, almost medically unheard of. Like the wheelhouse is like two to five. So it's certainly tipping the scales. Um, But that fascinated me because I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, say again, what? Like, what was her name? Because that's the name we're getting.
2: Now, when you interact with Gracie, do you feel like she's taken that with her, like that kind of personality disorder, for lack of a better term, do you think that that is showing itself in the afterlife or do you think she's like whole and healthy and herself?
1: See, that's the way I want to imagine her in her afterlife. I, I can't imagine taking something like that with us, right? Because it's a horrifying thought. Um, but so every time that I've seemed to have an interaction with her, it has been her. I will say that. Now, I will also say that I've had numerous conversations with friends, you know, those weird uh, late night conversations where you've had one too many glasses of wine. Um,
2: (laughs) Had a few of those. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And you go down rabbit holes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what happens. But numerous times we've talked and we're like, my God, like what if those personalities do transfer on uh, to the next life or what have you? It's like, what if Gracie is just the antecedent of the haunting? What if she's haunting this place? And Mm -hmm. it's just an offshoot of, different personalities and things like that, which is also a terrifying thought to to entertain.
2: Right. And then it also makes you wonder, like, where does that actually come from? Is that our brain or is it our psyche? Is it our soul? You know, I don't know. I, it does raise a lot of questions. But uh, now when you had the staff there, did they ever claim that they had experiences when it was operating?
1: Absolutely. Which I also found fascinating because they like, oh, they're like, gosh, this feels just like before. What do you mean by that? They're like, it just feels like eyes are on me. And I have had numerous people that were former staff members here um, that have come through. And they they always say, oh, this was the best job I ever had. Or this was the worst job I've ever had. And it's interesting to me just how, how that dichotomy works, right? And they're like, oh, I remember specifically this one time, like, I went upstairs and I was trying to fix a resident's bed and they like all of this stuff was happening around them, but nobody was around. And so I was like, this is fascinating to me that they were having different pieces of activity happen that they couldn't themselves just explain away. And I mean, some of them, I mean, Gracie, for an example, some of them were so terrified of Gracie because she would speak sometimes in a weird, uh, growly, uh, kind of a male voice and say things like, the devil's coming to get me, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. It freaked them out. So I'm like, turnover here was almost laughable, you know, (laughs) really.
2: Right. Having gone through this, I mean, I I imagine you investigate other locations as well, right? Do you ever feel like, I don't want to say that you compare them, but do you, I mean, how does that feel to be so kind of connected to one location, but then occasionally branch out to others? Does it feel different or, do you ever, I mean, honestly, do you ever feel like part of Malvern comes with you elsewhere, if that makes sense?
1: It does. It's super weird. One of my favorite places to go is obviously the Velisca Axe Murder House, which is just mm-hmm. 30 minutes down the same stretch of road. And Johnny over there at the Velisca House is one of my best friends. I love Johnny. Yeah. Um, he's one of the best, you know? <laughs> and so it's it's just good people uh, and good fun. But it's interesting, like going into another location and separating yourself from what you already know to be the normal, right? So it's like, oh, I could go and investigate the Queen Mary for an example or someplace like that and have to mentally say to myself, okay, dude, this is not gonna be what you're used to. You know what I mean? This is not going to be. And I think honestly, as weird as this sounds, the spirits here, Are more familiar with me. Oh, that's the guy that wipes down the counters. That's the guy that annoys me with the vacuum cleaner, Uh, you know, things like that. But they see me as more of like, you know, a caretaker of the place. And so I think they're more familiar with me and more willing to uh, mess with me a little bit more than maybe anybody else. But yeah. It's interesting. I was
2: going to ask that actually, like if you felt like you had kind of built up a camaraderie with some of the spirits there, or if there are some there that might not like you there, uh, you know,
1: there's that like, like Gracie for an example is one of my favorites. She's become my built-in therapist. you know what I mean? Like I'll just go into Gracie's room and I'll be like, you're never going to believe this. And I'll just word vomit for a half hour and I'll feel great. And she's probably annoyed, but um, regardless, like there is one gentleman upstairs, um, and his name is Hank or Henry. and it kind of depends on the day and what he wants to be called. Um he's your very stereotypical grumpy old man, and he just doesn't seem to enjoy company. He certainly doesn't enjoy the company of of female investigators, yeah. that is for sure. Um, but like he's just a crotchety old dude. And like he would sit out on the front porch and like throw rocks at children and things like that. So he's, just kind of a butthead. I also kind of aspire to be this man one day. (laughs) Yeah,
2: at this rate, you might be. (laughs) Maybe, maybe.
1: But no, he's honestly like one of my favorites, too, because he will just kind of flip you crap. You know what I mean? But I'm also flipping it right back. But it's almost like a buddy thing. Um, But I do think that I get on his nerves more often than not.
2: Do you really think there's a connection between Malvern and Velisca?
1: It's, it's fascinating. Um, again, one of those conversations that happened after too many glasses of wine with Johnny Houser, <laughs> right? Um, but
2: I can only imagine. He's yeah. so much fun.
1: Oh my God, yes. Um, but it, it is interesting because there does seem to be some kind of correlation, some kind of a tie that we're not quite privy to yet. Um, things that I don't quite know, like we're getting... EVPs here, for an example, that would suggest Velisca. However, they're also getting EVPs in Velisca that are suggesting Malvern. It Mm. makes no sense. Like, I would give my left arm to see a a ledger from the hotel back in 1910, in June specifically. Or 1912, excuse me.
2: Well, Um, no, yeah, exactly. And well, it also makes you wonder too, because obviously Velisca was huge news. And so sometimes even just... A news story can be enough of triggering information to get a spirit to speak with you, even if they weren't necessarily involved in it. It's enough for them to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Clearly, everyone who was at Malvern knew about that Obviously, we could go down the rabbit hole, but oh, yeah. but that's a possibility, too. I find that connection to be very interesting. And Johnny brought it up to me when I was at Velisca last. He was oh, like, sure. you've got to go to Malvern. And I still can't believe I haven't been there, to be honest. I have this very weird draw to Iowa. So like I've always like every time we've gone there to investigate or whatever, I've always had this kind of... Draw to it, and can come to find out. Like I was half adopted, and Mm -hmm. a bunch of my birth family is all from Iowa. Like I'm descended from Iowans. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So strange, but
1: oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and I mean honestly, like what you guys go to um, Belvoir a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which I mean that's just two hours away, give or take two and a half. Yeah,
2: when we were filming at Velisca for Kindred, the owner of Belvoir, so Jesse is one of my best friends, and so he came out and hung out with us. And oh, cool. <laughs> so personally, like, do you ever? Well, first of all, do you live in Malvern or are you just like there all the time?
1: I'm just here all the time. (laughs) It feels like I live in Malvern. I I live like 10 or 15 minutes away, which is like just close enough and just far enough away, you know? Yeah.
2: No, that makes sense. Now, do you ever regret the decision to be so heavily involved in it?
1: Sometimes. I guess like it's weird, right? Like I can't imagine doing anything else now. Mm -hmm. Like I honestly can't. I I feel also very fortunate uh, to be doing what I'm doing because I know a lot of people that would die to do this, you know, Um, but there are certain times like, I mean, I remember one time giving an interview sitting in the main room over here and somebody asked that question, does anything ever follow you home? And I said, no, not really. Like, and right at that moment, my wife called me and I was like, sorry guys, I got to take this real quick. And I asked if everything was okay. She goes, I don't know what you guys are doing over there. But you need to knock it off i'm like (laughs) what do you mean she's like like the kitchen cabinet doors are opening the dog is like going absolutely bat crap crazy he's like my wife was like something is going on over here please stop i'm like we're not doing anything we're just talking
2: yeah, your Malvern friends were like, Oh, that's something we can do. Let's, let's explore this option.
1: Right? Exactly. It's like, Oh, and now they heard that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, hopefully you set some boundaries since then. So that's not happening. Definitely. <laughs> well, I, I love that. Now I know. So Malvern is open for tours and investigations. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Yes.
2: Okay. And how does that work? Like if people want to come visit and check it out?
1: Yeah. So malvernmanor.weebly.com is the website. And on that website, I mean, you can check out uh, the calendar with available dates. Um, You can request a date. Um, And from there, it just emails me uh, directly and we get you on the calendar and off you go, you know, Um, type of thing. So it's, it's super fun. I love meeting new people and seeing people's approach uh, to investigating and all that stuff.
2: I'm sure you have boundaries and things and everybody's super respectful and I can only imagine. Yeah,
1: you know, for the most part they are. It's there's obviously your your outliers, right? Like every mm-hmm, once yeah. in a while, but no, like for the most part 99% of people come in here uh very respectfully, which I also say is probably the only way that you're going to get legitimate uh, interactions. Because absolutely if you come in kind of like what I call guns a blazing, you know, or you're like kicking in doors saying, show yourself and all yeah. that stuff, it's really not going to get you very far. But if you take an hour or you take 90 minutes and you go and just sit in a room and you just ask very generic questions, what did you do today? You know, what are you, what are you doing tomorrow? How was your day? You know things like that. Like, it seems to really elicit a response from these people.
2: Yeah, I agree completely. So, well, I'm going to have to pay a visit, clearly, (laughs) next time I'm in Iowa exploring my heritage. (laughs) And uh, I will. But I I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Uh, And like I said, hopefully I'll be visiting soon.
1: That sounds great. Thank you.
2: Malvern Manor has left behind its old role as care facility and now caters to supernatural enthusiasts and paranormal investigators. It's oddly appropriate that the facility still straddles the line between looking forward and looking back. Its business model is different from anything it had before, but any interaction with mysticism and spirituality will always involve some engagement with the past. So, while spirits from long ago continue to dwell there today, we can only hope they'll find a pathway forward as well. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Cassandra de Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Plus.